the key thing that makes a quality remote work culture and what makes it fun is fully embracing it and being remote first. I'm excited to be chatting with Matt Blazek today. Matt has been designing and implementing organizing and training programs for over 20 years for progressive organizations and campaigns. He has been working remotely consistently since 2012 and was an early evangelist of the benefits of remote work. He believes that the remote work revolution taking place today has the potential to create more equitable, fun, and productive workplaces for workers across the world. He's traveled to over 25 countries and usually splits his time between Iowa, Chicago, and Puerto Rico. You can follow him at Matt Blizek on Twitter and IG or M Blizek on LinkedIn. That's M-A-T-T-B-L-I-Z-E-K. He's going to be launching a new remote management training course. So if you're a manager, you should visit his site at flipthescript.io forward slash epic hyphen remote hyphen work to learn more about this training course and to sign up if you're interested in this program. As usual, all links will be in the show notes. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me today. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, looking forward to it. There are a few different terms that kind of float around nowadays. And so there is the whole idea of distributed workspaces versus Mm -hmm. remote workspaces. Do you distinguish between those two terms or are they pretty much the same to you? Yeah, um, it's a great, a great question because you're absolutely right. Like what is remote? What is hybrid? What is work from home? I tend to use the word remote instead of work from home, just because, you know, one thing that I've learned is I don't always work well from home. Sometimes I can do work at home, but sometimes I want to work from, you know, a cafe down the street, or sometimes I want to, you know, rent out a, a co-working space and work with some other folks. Maybe they're not from my organization, but, you know, they share the same space with me. This gets some, you know, physical interaction. I think distributed to me, I, I've seen people use the term distributed, but distributed hybrid, which to me just seems like contradictory. For me, when I think distributed, I think very much geographically spread out kind of across, if not the entire world, at least like the entire country. I think that a distributed workforce, that's one of the other massive advantages, obviously, for remote work. And I think that's why companies and organizations are are going to end up embracing that. Um, If not by choice, then eventually they'll be forced to. If they want to be able to recruit the, the most talented people, that's what people are going to want. And you want to be able to recruit from an entire national audience um, instead of just people that live within commuting distance uh, of whoever your office is. And for me, remote is just any any workspace that is, you know, there's the term metaverse now, right, which I think is going to ultimately take over remote. But I think if you want to broadly count metaverse as Slack and Zoom and, and email, then fine. But for me, remote means we do all of our work through the computer, through digital. We still get together, but it's for mainly for team building purposes. And that's not our default kind of mode of communication. That's usually how I kind of think about it. I really hope that the metaverse is more than zoom and teams <laughs> and slack and those things like if that is it uh yeah yeah, I, yeah i've tried some vr headsets and they it, it's hard to imagine working a full day in, in some sort of virtual reality like that there is one new thing i did just try out this gather um gather town and it's more of like kind of like an old school video game like oh. where you're kind of looking top down and you've got a little character and it's a whole office and you can go around 
And once you get close to another character, you start talking to them and it just pops up a little video screen and you can talk. It's kind of um, cheesy a little bit, but we were playing around with it and it does add a little bit of just like you're sharing a physical space or you're sharing a space, a digital space now, but it's a defined space with other people. And you can kind of eavesdrop on conversations and hear background chatter and, and some of those little things that, you know, that you miss from the office or maybe that you, you didn't know that you miss, <laughs> but you still kind of miss. I think it's really interesting because I did attend one of those workshops or sessions for meet and greets for podcasters one time mm-hmm. a few months ago. And I don't know, I don't remember what the, the app was, but it was one of those apps where you walk around and you happen across people and you strike up a conversation. It was a little bit buggy, but it was the same concept as what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And it was interesting because everybody was just kind of like, what is this? You mean somebody's not going to introduce the activity and and welcome us and and we were all just kind of laughing because we were like sure put a bunch of podcasters who are used to talking to people all the time in a room and probably a bunch of us are introverts and then see what happens we all look for people that we already know (laughs) so that was a little bit funny but anyway uh, I I work for Automatic which is a remote first distributed organization and I've been kind of processing some of what you're saying about what it means to be remote and what kind of culture shifts are necessary mm-hmm. in order for remote to be successful and kind of filtering it through, okay, what do we do well? And I think it's very interesting when we look at organizations and the conversation that's happening now about remote work too is who can participate in this? Like mm-hmm. what are the industries? What are the jobs? What are the fields? Absolutely. What, what levels of an organization are able to participate in this? So for example, I'm in customer support in IT. And so customer support tends to be an area where we want to provide all the time support that puts a different level of flexibility if you want mm-hmm. to balance between the needs of customers or users and then the needs of employees navigating that tension can be a little bit of a struggle for companies in terms of deciding how to build that schedule and what needs to be fixed and what can be a bit more flexible yeah and how to do so in a way that feels fair to all the employees and it feels equitable to them one big concern I have about the kind of explosion in remote work now is that it is at the risk, I think, of becoming very stratified. This question of who gets to work from home or who gets to work remotely versus who has to work in an office. And obviously, it already is still stratified because there's lots and lots of jobs, obviously, that just can't be done remote. If you're you know, doing manual labor, if you're doing service, food service, anything like that, obviously, is, is not going to be eligible for this. But I think even within information jobs and office jobs, there's a, a emerging kind of stratification where... I think people that are on the higher end of their careers, people that have more marketable skills or more in demand, they are all working remote because they basically can demand it. They're at that point of their career where they say, hey, I'm, I'm working remote. I'm only going to work at places that are remote. Um, and they're the ones you know, really making it happen. Whereas a lot more entry-level office workers really don't have that option at all. If you're doing more entry type things or customer service, call centers, government employees, especially just the massive kind of bureaucracy of government employees, almost all of them have been forced to come back in and work in offices. Every, you know, municipal buildings, county seats, all of that. 
I think that is in the long run going to, to be a big, a big problem going forward of just, again, who, who gets to have this kind of new perk of being able to control their own time and who still has to commute two hours every day and like put up with all the indignities of, of working under fluorescent lights in a cubicle. As I said, one of the worst, worst ways you can do a hybrid setup is to have it where like just anybody can do what they want because what happens then some people choose to work remotely and other people maybe they feel like well i want to work remotely but the boss is in the office and if i'm not getting FaceTime with the boss or the manager then i'm going to be left over for promotions i'm not going to you know be able to you know get as good a performance reviews so i feel like i have to work in the office so there's that kind of tension again that gets built that's why I say it's the best thing organizations can do is just say, hey, we're remote first. We're going to change our culture for it and kind of break out of everything really happens and revolves around the office, that physical space. And instead, everything kind of revolves around the virtual space that people can enjoy the physical space that they want. But that's not the that's not the, the necessary thing. That's not the focal point of it all. That is something that comes up a lot in terms of people being concerned that if they were not bumping into somebody in mm-hmm. the office, they might not get an opportunity that they would otherwise get. And I guess the same thing may come up in startups where yeah. a, a lot of the reason why some people like working in startups is you notice something needs doing, you do it, you get that experience, yeah. you're able to have a much wider portfolio of things that you're competent with or even have exposure to in a startup do you lose some of that when you go remote I think you don't have to and I think you would agree that you don't have to so what are some of the culture changes that are needed in order to ensure that people still have opportunities for growth and uh, variety of experiences and all of those things that we value from being able to be in the same space with each other absolutely I think that the key word here, and this is a word that, that you hear a lot from folks that have done remote work successfully is, is intention. It, it just takes intention. You have to put forth like an intentional effort to try to do things that happen just incidentally in an office place. So you can just incidentally bump into somebody or, you know, just happen to, to have like a fun conversation about something not related to work with some of your other colleagues by the water cooler or whatever, right? These kind of incidental things happen just spontaneously at an office place. They won't happen that way in a virtual space, but you can recreate them with some intention. You can re- you create new systems that are going to recreate some of those opportunities. So a few examples of that, the, of the places that I've worked, some places will have just like random like coffee chats where just like you can just program a thing and two people randomly are like matched up and it's like, hey, get together, have a 30 minute chat about whatever, just get to know each other. You're just randomly paired up with somebody from not your team. You can go and do that. One of the other things um, that I found that's a really a simple thing, but really makes a big impact is um, just taking time at the beginning of every meeting. Just take five minutes uh, or even 10 minutes to check in and have some question that's not about work. That's not about anything else that gives people an opportunity just to chat and get to know each other about something that's not work related. Because what that's doing is that's creating trust. That's building emotional trust between people. When I'm getting to know, you know, how my coworker's son is playing in his baseball league over the weekend or whatever, and they get to hear what the awesome wave that I caught surfing, right? We're just by exchanging that information, we're building trust with each other and then therefore going to be better coworkers. But again, it's a process that you've got to think about and then build build a, a, a kind of a recurring system for it and just make sure that everybody kind of is bought into that process going forward. Speaking about check-ins, I have a question for you, Matt. Yeah. Would you prefer to be fluorescent green 
and only be fluorescent at night or would you prefer to have a one meter tail? Oh, wow. Hmm. I think I would go with the tail, actually. I could see, you know, the tail, like it, it, it might stand out a little bit. I mean, being fluorescent green would also stand out. So I'm going to stand out either way. I think the tail would be more functional uh, than being fluorescent green. So I definitely, definitely would go for the tail. But that's a great checking question. That's it's like the perfect type of thing that, you know, you want to talk about before a meeting starts, I think. There is a free question for your listeners, because yeah. that was one of the questions that we discussed in one of the recent team meetings at nice. my workplace. And Lovely. I thought it was kind of a fun one. Wait, did more people pick the tail or did more people pick uh, the fluorescent green? It's interesting because I switched it a little bit in the original version of the question. It's glow at night, not be fluorescent okay. green. And uh, some people were really concerned about the fact that it would affect their sleep if they were glowing at night. And some people just wanted to be able to hide in the day, which you can't really hide a tail. Yeah. So they prefer <laughs> to be glow in the dark. It was really mixed. It was interesting what people would focus on. For me, I wanted to know how glow in the dark are you at night? <laughs> is it like see those ceiling stars that are lovely glow? Is it like a bright light 6,000 K glow? <laughs> <laughs> How do you envision remote work creating more fun workspaces? I think there's a lot of ways for that. I think first and foremost, an organization that really embraces remote work first. I mean, I think that's an important distinction. I think what has been happening a lot is everyone was working remotely during the pandemic, except they really weren't. I'll borrow this line from a really good book that recently came out called Out of Office. That was just really all about remote work. But one of the great lines that stood me from the of that book is you weren't working at home in the pandemic. You were laboring in confinement and under duress for most of that time. Like it wasn't fun. It was incredibly stressful. And obviously with everything else going on in the world, just adding to, to all of the stress. And I think a lot of people because of that, just really overwork themselves, which is a really common thing that can happen when people start working remotely for the first time. You don't know where you're kind of setting your own, your own boundaries. And from the organization's point of view, from a corporation's point of view, if they can get you to work more then hey, great, like we want you to work more too. But that's definitely not fun, right? For me, myself, I'm lucky enough to have worked in all you know, remote uh, work environments for most of the last 10 years at, at a few different organizations, but that all kind of had the, the similar style. And I think the, the key thing that makes a quality remote work culture and what makes it fun is fully embracing it and being remote first and not being office first. And I think a lot of places, they went remote, but they're still relating to each other like they would back in the office. They didn't make any of the other bigger culture changes. And if they're going now hybrid, like a lot of organizations, they really insisting on getting people in for, for some of the time hybrid, that can oft oftentimes be the worst of both worlds. Because while you do get a, some more human-human connection, now people have to relate to each other in, in two totally different ways. One that's in this virtual space that we're building that's you know on Zoom and Slack and any other number of kind of software project management tools, and then also interacting face-to-face -face in, in a physical environment, which is a whole different skill set and a whole different kind of mode of, of communicating for folks. That tends to, to be really challenging. And then you get people that are working remotely all the time and some people working face-to-face -face all the time. And that creates really you know, bad hierarchies in organizations as well too. 
So I think the first real key is really embrace be remote work first. And you can still have people get together. That's actually really, really essential and really important. But staff should get together when there's a, a purpose for it, either for like a specific team building retreat or to, you know, sprint on a specific project, something like that. Not just getting everyone together because it's, it's Thursday and we, you know, we work in person on Thursday, which is what a lot of organizations I think are defaulting to. But what can be really fun in a really good remote workplace, I think there's a few things. First is like having a full, like flexible um, schedule where um, everyone really working can really control their own time and have that really built into the culture. So that if, you know, if I have a couple hours between calls or projects, I can run to the grocery store or I can go to the gym or I can go and pick my kids up from school. And I don't have to feel bad about that. I don't have to like, you know, message five people at work and, and be like, Hey, is it okay if I like step out and do this? It's fine. I control my time. I know I have these deliverables that people are expecting, but I can easily do both of these things. That definitely adds to, to a lot of the fun for it. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that people now have like tasted a little bit of in the last year and a half and, and don't want to give up. They don't want to give up that kind of control that they've got over their own lives. And then I think the other final thing is, um, creating an alternative culture than the kind of motto cultures that usually exist in our office spaces. Most office spaces are like the culture that's kind of built there is almost entirely designed by, you know, white men that are older usually and have like certain kind of rigid ways. What's, you know, professional, what people are supposed to dress like, how people are supposed to talk or behave. All of that is, you know, somewhat constricting, particularly to workers of color and, and to women in the office place. So being able to like just jettison that old culture and create new cultures that are much more inclusive and allow people to really bring their whole selves to work. That to me is what I've seen in really great work environments. And that's what I'm working to try to do now and try to bring some of those best practices to anywhere. So I truly believe that when done right, a good, a quality remote work setting is far better than, you know, forcing people to work together in person all the time. So one of the things that you mentioned is that with just a bit of effort and intention, any team can have a strong, vibrant work culture that's 100% remote. And what stood out for me from that statement was, how do you define a strong, vibrant culture? So can you paint a picture <laughs> <Sure>. for me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think a good, strong, vibrant work, uh, remote work culture is going to have employees that are really engaged and fulfilled. They're going to enjoy the work that they do and the job that they have because they they are going to, um, you know, again, have more flexibility in their life. They're going to be hopefully like managed better when you are again, able to escape some of the trappings of the, the old monocultures of the office, it allows you to create new traditions, new cultures in your work. Some of which again, are going to be all remote. So that might be simple things like, you know, on Fridays, we do an appreciation thread where everybody can go in and say they appreciate something that somebody else from their work did that week. I think those types of practices, again, where people are celebrating each other are really great. And then I think having a culture of really honesty and transparency is one of the other really important things in remote work. It, it, in an office space, oftentimes information or knowledge decisions tend to bottleneck with certain individual people. That's a lot harder to do again, remotely. That's, it, it seems, like nothing's happening. So a good remote team is going to have transparency when decisions are made, they're going to be communicated clearly with everyone on the team and they'll have open door policies. So if somebody wants to, to meet with somebody a few levels up from them and the, the bureaucracy, they're able to do that. The other kind of key thing I think about remote work, in addition to intention is uh, being explicit, things are explicit. 
and things are documented clearly and written down. So that's true of basic work policies and things, but it's also true of processes. So like how jobs are supposed to be done, have that clearly written down. So anybody can go to it and they don't have to go to, you know, their manager, the one person in the corner office who knows how this one piece of the work gets done. And then finally also is documentation of meetings and calls, so like having open note docs where anybody can you know, go and, and see what was discussed at this meeting, what was decided. That kind of transparency, I think is really essential because again, that, that makes people feel like they're really bought in. It's the kind of engagement and fulfillment I think tends to make really positive, strong, vibrant workplaces. And then I guess the last thing that I'll say that we mentioned some before, and th this is obviously been made harder with COVID, but it really does help to get folks together in person for some periods of time. But I think that the way you need to think about those are like exceptions. And when you do schedule that in-person time, it really is about um, building trust, building the team, building your team culture, and you're not getting together to do work because you're going to do work better when you're working distributed or remotely. But you can really use that face-to-face -face time just to build the team connections and team culture. That's going to make everyone work stronger uh, when you get back into the all remote setting. So those are some of the things um, that I would see. And then obviously, as I said, good management managers that feel empowered to, to be good remote managers and, and have got that kind of support and training they need. Yeah, and I definitely have experienced this because we would meet every year for a whole company meetup uh, yeah. and then we would meet once a year or so for mm -hmm. a team meetup. Yep. And we haven't been able to do that. And we were doing some things virtually, but... I don't get excited about yeah. virtual team meetups in the same yeah. way that I yeah, get excited about. So when we look at remote work environments, are there any other good cornerstones of relationships and teams setting up your work culture in yeah. a remote work environment? Yeah, I think the other one that really is important is just having good management. This is something that's important for all work and all teams and, and for when you're face-to-face -face as well, too. What tends to happen with management, if you've got managers that have some like poor practices, all of those get accentuated and just like doubled and tripled when it goes to remote work. In a lot of ways, going remote tends to really make people become better managers. One example of this is a bad practice of many managers, micromanaging. Now, when micromanaging is done in an in-person environment, it's unpleasant. It's not a good experience for the, for the direct report that's being managed. But when micromanaging is done remotely, it can be far worse. It's way more invasive. Now I'm being micromanaged in my own home, in my own space. <laughs> like I'm sharing my, my, you know, this, this screen of my own space here with somebody else for long periods of time. Or even worse, what a lot of um, companies are doing that's an awful practice, I think, is having people download like spyware software where they can literally track everything that's on your screen and like how many keystrokes you made and, and those kind of things. That obviously incredibly abusive as well. And I think there's, there's zero trust involved there really. So what a good manager will do though, and, and what you are forced to do as a manager remotely is you're no longer really able to measure inputs. You're no longer able to see when somebody is sitting at their chair and it looks like they're working. I don't know if they're actually doing work, but they're sitting at their desk. So, mm -hmm. so they're there. So I feel like I'm doing my job as a manager because I made sure they're at their desk. That's bad management though. That's managing based off of the inputs that people are doing. When better managers are going to manage based off of outcomes and outputs. What is the end product of the work that you're producing? When you're managing remotely, that end product is really all you're going to see. And so really as a good, a, a 
remote manager, just a good manager generally, is going to you know, work with the, their employee. They're going to make clear the expectations of what the end product should look like, how we're going to measure the success of the product in the end, when it's going to be due by all the smart goals and things like that, and then let them go and do it and ask them what support they need, ask them what obstacles they might have and support them in doing so. That's just good management practice, regardless of your environment. But it's essential management practice when you're managing remotely, because again, that's really all you're going to see. And the best managers, the best system that I found is it takes some trust, extending trust both ways. So me as a manager, I extend trust to the person I'm managing that they can control their own time. If they need to take a break in the middle of the day and go for a run or whatever, like if that helps them produce better work, then great. I want them to do that. And so that's the trust I'm giving to them. The trust they're giving back to me is that I'm going to hold them to account to what the outcomes are going to be that we talked about. And their end of the responsibility is to get the work done on time, right? <laughs> that, that tends to just be a much, much better way of management. And that's really one of the, the biggest leaps that you have to make in managing remotely. You can't manage based off of inputs and presenteeism and butts and chairs anymore. It's really on like, what does the end product look like? And so you just got to get better at, at, at communicating that and, and giving feedback and, and giving support along the way and less about just worrying like about attendance, basically. Yeah, one of the things that I've found to be so important is about agreements. Mm -hmm. I've heard some horror stories, for example, with one friend where if he didn't reply to an email within five minutes, then he'd get a call from his manager. And it's just like, wow, like you're, you're supposed to be instant even yeah. if you're working well if you're working well you shouldn't be replying to email immediately right Absolutely. you should be able to have periods of deep work and in and out and we know how email can make it look as if you're doing work when you're not right. really accomplishing very Absolutely. much and so I found it very interesting that with the move to working from home because of COVID where organizations have not been set up for that they some managers they go to strategies to manage their employee by going and checking on them. Yeah. And that's really essential too, of just like having good boundaries around asynchronous uh, work and asynchronous communication. A good organization or company would have a like clear written expectation for how, when, how long it should take you to respond to an email or to respond to a Slack message. And ideally it's not going to be you know, within five minutes, uh, you know, but it might be like for us, if you get a Slack message, you are expected to respond, but it's at least like three or four hours before anyone really would think about to escalate it or try to call you. That's really important. And especially that's important just to create boundaries around the hours that people are expected to be online and responding to messages. Because one of the biggest pitfalls of working um, remotely and working at home is that you just never stop working and you're just always on. And even when you've like, you know, gone home for the day or checked out, you're still on your phone, your boss is still sending your messages, you're still replying to them. So like you tend to just dissolve these boundaries between your home life and work life. And that can be really destructive and, and burn a lot of people out really quick. But it's on managers and it's on organizations to set those boundaries and not force individuals to have to decide like, hey, should I respond to my boss after hours or not? Because that's obviously it puts them in a really impossible place. Yes, definitely. How important is it to build a close relationship mm. with the people that you work with? Yeah, I love that question. Because I've been thinking about that a lot more of late, particularly as I've thought a lot more about remote work. Early in my career, I did a lot of electoral work and, and political campaigns. And, and those are very intense experiences where you are like, 
living and breathing and working on top of people. You're just you know, confined face-to-face -face for a lot of periods of time. You develop very, very strong bonds and relationships. I very much considered you know, a lot of the folks that I met on those campaigns, almost like family, like we were so close. But as I've kind of gotten older in my career, I tend to think that's just not very healthy actually to develop that strong of bonds with professional coworker type relationships. Mm. Because like the work is just really traumatic. <laughs> it's just really intense. And I think that one of the things that really is great about remote work and you know, it goes both ways, I suppose, but when you're working remotely, your coworkers are no longer your main social circle. I think for so many people, and I think this is a fairly new phenomenon um, in America, and I think it's mostly an American phenomenon, but the last several decades, work has just taken up so much of our lives. It has just kind of gradually expanded and expanded. And some of that is um, due to people you know, wanting to work more and just being kind of obsessed with the hustle culture and bragging about 70 hour weeks that they put in. But a lot of it's also just due to necessity. Right? So people have to work long, crazy hours just to get by in this country a lot. And the result of that is that you don't have time to make other friends. Like you don't have time to go and, and join the, the neighborhood association. You don't have time to take up that other hobby. You don't have time to talk to your neighbors or even catch up with maybe old friends you haven't talked to in a long time. So everyone just tends to default and make their friends, their coworkers, because so much of their life revolves around their work anyway, that this is just the, you know, the natural way to do it. And I think some companies encourage that too. That's why you've got like big companies like, you know, like Apple building entire campuses. Stay there. You never have to go home. <laughs> exactly. You can work all the time, right? Why would you need to leave? And this, that's just not healthy. I don't think that is healthy for, um, I don't think that's um, a, a positive thing. I think that one of the things that I'm really hopeful for in this remote work revolution, if it becomes more widespread, is that it really does have the potential to free up more people's time, free up more people's lives. So people can become more uh, socially and civically engaged again. They can like, you know, join up with neighborhood associations. It, it's much harder for people to find time to really be engaged that way now. So I think that when you're working remotely, you have to find new friends. You, it forces you again to have some intention about how you're going out and building a, a social life for yourself. So again, it's a bit harder to do when you're remotely, but I do think it's a lot healthier. Great to still have work friends. I'm still you know, very close and good friends with people that I work with. But I don't feel like I have to be. I don't feel like that that's my only or first, second, and third circle of friends, the people I work with. That can be a group of friends that I have, but it's not like the, the center of my life. That's something I hope that more and more people can take advantage of going forward if they're working remotely. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast earlier today, Beginning Balance, and the topic of the show was your team isn't your family and it was all about how people mm -hmm. like to say oh we're just like family here and how damaging red, red flag, red flag. <laughs> how damaging that can be to a culture and they were kind of exploring different types of relationships that can occur at work and how it may not be helpful to mm -hmm. create that expectation of we're family because we work together what do you think are some of the important or the key relationships to cultivate in a remote work environment? Mm. Maybe it's the same as in a face-to-face -face environment, or maybe it's different. I think a lot of them are, are obviously the same. This is what I've observed happening. I think you're going to still have strong relationships with your immediate team. The people that you're immediately working with, that you're seeing on Zoom all the time, um, that you may be doing many retreats with, 
you're going to have usually pretty strong relationships with them already. Where you tend to, to lose some of those in other teams, other parts of your organization that you don't work with on a regular basis. Again, in an office space, you might meet those people in the elevator or in the, in the break room or something and have a conversation. That's probably not going to happen you know, spontaneously, remotely. Ideally, a good culture would have systems in place to kind of mitigate that and connect people different ways. But I think if where you work doesn't, then yeah, I think it's something that's really smart and on you to do, or as a manager to help empower your team to do, is to build relationships cross-departmentally. Like who are your peers, other departments, you may have totally different jobs, but you're kind of like on a similar level organizationally that you can like get to know. Even if that's just like randomly sending them a Slack message, be like, hey, I wanted to meet more people. Can we, you know, just chat for 30 minutes? How you doing? Little things like that can go a, a long ways. And, and you don't know when that's going to pay off down yeah. the road. Having that relationship there might give me some insight to something that our team is doing that I can then you know share and, and you know, just help improve our work overall. So One thing that I found really helpful is just chatting with people who are in similar roles to me, but who are in other divisions mm -hmm. that I may not come across their work on a day-to-day -day basis. And some of the things we do is intentionally create some cross-divisional groups for conversations around uh, whatever it is that I might be wondering about or might need help with. And it's interesting because there's a lot of information. So there isn't a lack of information, but information is not the be all and end all. Like we need something right. on top of that information. And I think the relationships do come in there in terms of if I yeah. need a little bit of more. But that's the, the trust, right? You need the trust. Mm -hmm. Like uh, otherwise information is just information. Yeah, information and trust, then you can start to, you know, to really build on it. Yeah, and I think there is something that happens the, too when you're in conversation with people where there is mm -hmm. that responsiveness that you don't get by just reading information that engages yeah. a different level of cognition and metacognition that we may not be able to access otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. As somebody who works remotely and you've done this for a long time and you've also traveled a lot, do you consider yourself to be successful with making friends in new environments? Yeah, I definitely do. I'm probably going to make a couple new friends tomorrow. I don't know who they are yet, but I'm, I'm sure that I'll meet somebody nice. I think that a few things have really helped me do that. Early on in my career, I was just an organizer. And as an organizer, that's basically your job is to just go out and talk to lots of people and strike up those conversations. So I think I was kind of primed and, and trained for that. I think when I was in my early 20s. And then I think that kind of built with the travel as well, too. You're going to be constantly kind of meeting folks. I think the other skill that's like harder to do that I, I say I'm probably not as good at, but I, I try to be better at is just staying in touch and staying connected. As your friend group tends to expand, you've got more and more people to kind of figure out how to stay in touch with folks. Mm -hmm. Just passively following them on, on social media is one thing, but really getting to reconnect with someone is, is great. So I try to do that at least once or twice a week, like find some old friend or some person I've not seen in a while and, and try to reconnect with them too. So it's not just a constant churning of new relationships in the life, but you're deepening some of those ones that you've made along the way too. If people are feeling a little bit more isolated than usual, do you have an invitation or a challenge of something they could do yeah could help them yeah i think first to say it's like totally normal i think everyone's kind of feeling that to some degree uh, since the pandemic so i think that a few things that that i suggest for that is first you've got to just get out of your space like get out of your house sometimes even if it's just going for a walk once a day kind of just gets you in a, a better mental headspace than if you're just like stuck and, and confined inside all day 
I think the other things though, like looking for other hobbies or passions, is there like, you know, a local club of something that, that you can join? If you're interested in something, going and, and looking online for other similar people that you can join, even if it's a virtual community, being part of community with people is, is going to help you feel more centered and more fulfilled. And then I think a lot of it is, you know, it's like, Hey, who was a, your good friend eight years ago that we haven't had a good conversation with yet? And it's rekindling maybe some of those old relationships. I played a lot of Zoom poker with old friends during the pandemic, which was just like a good way for a bunch of us to get together. We would normally get together and have some beers and play a poker game, but that wasn't possible. So, hey, we're just going to recreate the space. It's not the same, but it still gives us a little bit of that connection when we can't, you know, can't physically share the same space. One suggestion that a friend of mine made some time ago was about saying yes, that if somebody invites you to try something where your Mm. first, your default response might be no to pause and maybe say yes instead, or even just a maybe can be a little bit easier. And even invite your friends to encourage you. So, hey, friend, I really want to go out and do more stuff, but you know that I'm kind of a homebody and I struggle with that. So please invite me, even though I may say no a few times. That kind of thing I think can also go a long way because it's really easy And I know I've definitely fallen into that trap where if you say no enough, people think that you're just never interested. And so Mm -hmm. just being a little bit clear around what you're aiming for, what your goals are and getting your friends to help you with that. Yeah. I mean, it can be, you know, self-reinforcing, right? If you're just feeling kind of depressed, you don't want to go out and then it just makes you feel more depressed and then you don't want to go out out more. So yeah, I think that's really great advice. Like pushing yourself to pass that initial, no, wait, oh, actually, yes. yes, (laughs) Yeah. And I, well, for me, sometimes I plan a lot of stuff, but sometimes I can just be happy to stay at home. And Mm -hmm. I find that if I commit, if I say yes, I can't say yes if the event is a, a week from now and then I have to tell myself you're not allowed to cancel, you know, because yeah. I will have that temptation. <laughs> you're allowed to be happy if your friend cancels, but you, you don't get to cancel. And I'm generally very happy to have gone out and met with people, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just that getting myself out of the house that can be a bit yeah. of a, a barrier. Yeah. And I'm the same way. I very much love my time. So sometimes I'm hesitant to to give that up and and give that to other folks. But like you said, after you do, you usually feel better and glad you did so afterwards. Same with exercise. I just think if I could somehow like bottle that feeling that you get afterwards to just give myself a little bit of a of a taste beforehand and be like, don't you want more of these, Damien? Yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned that you're launching a new remote management training course this April. And people can go to flipthescript.io forward slash epic hyphen remote hyphen work. Link will be in the show notes. Tell us about that program and what's the most exciting part of it for you. Yeah. So this is a program I've been designing with a friend of mine, uh, Matt Lay, who's the founder of uh, his company, Flip the Script. He had been working on a management training based off of some of the early work that, that he did and just where he felt like a lot of managers uh, just were coming up short. People don't get trained to be managers. We take people that are really good at doing a job. And then the only real way to be promoted and to move up is to then take on this role of being a manager. But being a manager is a very different job than being being an individual contributor. Management is that kind of middle, what we call a tactical layer. So managers don't produce value for your organization directly, but you multiply the value of others. A good manager might take the value their team makes and multiply it by three. 
and a really bad manager might take the value their team makes and like cut it in half with management. So he had put together a really great program called Epic Management that talks about four essential pieces, the environment, performance, identity, and communication. He'd been running this training for a number of years. I joined up with the team about a year ago and have been just adding extra supplementary materials and working with him to really update the course specifically for remote managers because it's one of the biggest needs that we're kind of seeing out there now is so many organizations have gone remote now, but they have not really had any kind of extra training or support for their managers. They're basically saying, hey, just do the same thing that you did you know, when you're in the office. And as we've talked about in, in this discussion, there's a lot of kind of important nuanced and different ways that you've got to go about kind of changing your approach when you're managing folks remotely. So that's really what we're uh, trying to impart for folks in the course. It's a full 12-week course, got a bunch of videos to watch. We have bi-weekly sessions where we get everyone together um, and talk through um, and a number of kind of handouts and, and workbooks and things as well. We're really excited to be rolling this out. And this is really the biggest thing um, that organizations need in order to succeed in, in a remote, remote environment. Good managers are going to make the whole, whole remote work work for you. If you're interested, definitely go and check out flipthescript.io. At the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned the book Out of Office. Is that a book you recommend? Mm, I highly recommend Out of Office. We actually did a bit of a book talk about it. If you go to Flip the Script and just go to our, uh, our blog there, you'll see an article that I actually wrote about it and what I think were some of the, the main takeaways from the book. It's a book by um, Helen Ann Peterson and Charlie Warzel. They both started working remotely about a decade ago and really did, I think, a great job in this book of just spelling out some best practices like we've talked about, but I think also really just looking ahead to the the potential of how this can really improve so many people's lives if remote work becomes really widespread. But on the other hand, the peril of remote work and how if it's not done well, it could lead to workplaces being even worse than they are now. If we end up having like spyware on computers and uh, people working all hours of the day and things like that, remote work could go really wrong or really poorly. Or it could be a way that, that people really kind of reclaim control over their lives and not have work be the kind of, you know, first, second, third, and fourth thing in their life all the time. It's a fairly short book to read to. It's like 500 pages, but definitely put it on your list. Excellent. You've been very generous with your time and with my technical Absolutely. issues. Thank you very much. No problem. It was really great uh, talking. This is a really fun conversation. So thank you again for having me Thank on. you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Changes Big and Small. Matt has shared lots of great advice for people working remotely, for creating fun workspaces, for creating workspaces and environments and team cultures that actually work for your organization and that work for your team. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please share it with someone else who you think will benefit. Would you please contact me with any questions that you may have? You can reach me at contact at changesbigandsmall.com. Remember, change begins with one small step. Have a great week.